I'm Tommy Bailey with Bailey Farms in Angleton, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on the Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We've got another week rolling, and I've got another episode rolling for you of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, Congress passed the Cattle Contract Library Act about a year ago, and it is finally coming to fruition and Texas cattle feeders are hoping it will be a big benefit to them. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Deciding what crops to plant is one thing but choosing which varieties among those crops to go with is also important. I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll look at this issue from a cotton perspective. Renewing hunting and grazing leases on Texas ranch land. Owners of that land need to follow a checklist to make sure that everything is done properly. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and we'll check that checklist on Texas Ag Today. Burning has been used for years to rejuvenate grassland. Burning pasture or hayfields as a means of managing excess residue is commonly practiced in the southern U.S. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. USDA has made the transition from a voluntary cattle contract library to the final rule version that went into effect in January. And that final rule version of this cattle contract library requires the big four packers to uh, submit contract information that will allow USDA then to assemble that in a way that kind of summarizes the different contract terms as far as how base prices are determined on cattle, premiums and discounts, and other terms and conditions of these contracts. That's Texas Cattle Feeders Association President and CEO Ben Weinheimer. He says the newest version of the cattle contract library was released a couple of weeks ago and the cattle industry is taking a hard look at it. Well, we're still studying it to kind of see what the results are. The hopes are that it's more beneficial to the cattle feeder and not more beneficial to the packer. That's the thought that we went into this discussion a few years ago, that having this type of contract library would create some more transparency for the feeders. But time will tell here as we get a chance to kind of look at how that information has been uh, summarized and reported. Weinheimer says one potential hiccup in the program is that it's limited to the big four packers who own 18 plants across the country instead of the 40 plants that are included in the livestock mandatory reporting system. Our concerns are that it might be a little easier for those packers to decipher their own information and maybe be able to identify what their competitors are doing that could be disadvantageous to the cattle feeder. That's Ben Weinheimer with the Texas Cattle Feeders Association. 
When it comes to predicting cotton prices, USDA's ending stocks estimates play a big role, according to Dr. John Robinson, cotton marketing specialist for Texas A&M. And given the current ending stocks numbers, he doesn't expect to see cotton prices move very much this year from their current levels. It's pretty easy to pencil out an outcome that's coming in the same ballpark, three and a half million bales or so. And if that was to happen, then I would expect a continuation of prices kind of where they are, which is lower to mid 80s currently, with the possibility of typical in-season price volatility around uncertainty of how much are we planting, what's the weather like, what did that storm do last week, that sort of thing, hurricanes when we get later in the season. The long and short of it is what I'm expecting is prices probably in the 80s with the possibility of them bouncing, you know, volatile fashion into the 90s or so on any concern about crop growing conditions on a small planted acres base. Robinson says other outside factors like a possible recession and increasing interest rates could hurt the demand side of the cotton market this year. Choosing which crop to plant this year is hard enough. But James Hunt tells us choosing the right variety of that crop can be just as important. We have talked a few times now about a potential reduction in cotton acres, but we will still have a lot of cotton planted in the Texas High Plains this year. When it comes to having a successful season, Mark Brown of Plains Cotton Growers says what type of cotton farmers plant is very important. James, in my mind, variety selection is one of the most critical decisions that a producer can make of all of the decisions that he has throughout the growing season. It's not uncommon in variety trials to see a $200 difference in lint values just within an individual trial. And the thing that I would suggest is that we do have new results from not only companies, but also from AgriLife Research and AgriLife Extension. We've got new information from the previous season in terms of yield, of lint quality, and then also of disease and nematode pressure ratings on particular varieties. By consulting variety trial information, Brown says farmers can find products that are best suited for their individual farms. One new cotton option that Brown says farmers might want to sample this year is the Thrive On product from Bayer that has just become commercially available. It has a BT trade in it, and this BT is different than all the previous ones because for the first time, this targets sucking pests such as the tarnished plant bug. Not only that, but it also can help with thrips management. Brown also says in future seasons, cotton farmers can anticipate new herbicide-resistant varieties coming to the market. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Renewing hunting and grazing leases can be a challenge. Tom Nicoletti looks at some things that landowners should consider when negotiating leases. My guest uh, today is Tyler Jacobs, uh, partner broker with Hall & Hall LLP out of College Station. Tyler, we visit uh, today in regards to the fact that now is the time when most uh, ranches are are renewing hunting and grazing leases at this time of the year, but they need to take into consideration some things uh, if they are thinking about selling in lieu of renewing leases at some point in the near or distant future. There are some disclosures and things that they need to do, and uh, first off, they need to uh, talk to some experts about uh, what they're doing. Fill us in on what they need to do there. When you make major decisions like this, you definitely want to address 
them with your attorney and with your tax advisor. And the reality is, is that most of these ranches, they get set up on a lease, whether it be a hunting lease or a grazing lease. And they just, they use that same form over and over and over again. And then one day the landowner situation changes and they start thinking about selling. And sometimes they execute that lease, not knowing the impacts it may have on a future sale. So this is what we want to talk about as far as making sure that your eyes are wide open and the documents you're preparing and executing for the current year. Those landowners also need to think about shifting their goals uh, from receiving cash to improving uh, property conditions if indeed they're thinking about selling in the future. It's no different than taking your car to the car wash before you take it to the dealership to trade it in, right? While you might give up a couple of dollars an acre in income, you can get the tenant to do some of the work and improvement that you want to do to improve that property to get it ready to sell. I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Burning pastures or hay fields is a good way to rejuvenate grasslands. Forage specialist Dr. Vanessa Olson has more. Forage producers commonly use burning to stimulate vegetative growth of unproductive or heavily weed-infested pastures. Burning is an inexpensive, labor-efficient means of removing unwanted residues or vegetation before forage breaks dormancy. Keep in mind that burning might not be the only management tool needed to control invasive species in a pasture. Prescribed burning must be integrated with grazing management to gain the full benefit. Combining the appropriate stocking rate and rest periods with prescribed burning will allow the desired vegetation to be competitive and help reduce the encroachment of many undesirable plants. Burning is carried out for a variety of reasons. To remove excessive vegetation, to increase plant productivity by increasing photosynthetic capability, to control weeds and insects, and to reduce diseases where dead biomass could host pathogens. Prescribed burning is planned to achieve a specific objective in a specific area under appropriate conditions at the right time of the year. This will require equipment and a crew to keep the fire under control. A prescribed burn will require some planning to meet certain management goals. A properly planned and executed prescribed burn can be a very effective management tool for pastures or hayfields. Occasional burning of pastures can be an economical and effective management tool. However, repeated long-term burning of pastures can have a permanent negative effect on soil quality and overall soil health. Prescribed burning can be dangerous if improperly or carelessly done. Even if a landowner obtains a fire permit, he or she is still liable for any damages or suppression costs that could occur because of the prescribed burn. Take precautions and appropriate measures before, during, and after burning to reduce any risk. Get help before you burn. Contact your local Forest Service office and or your local extension office for more information on planning and executing a prescribed burn of a pasture or hayfield. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension in Overton for Texas Ag Today. A new study is underway in far west Texas to learn more about a state-threatened species, the black bear. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And a recent study looks at the effect of blanketing on hair coat length and diameter in horses. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, visit tfbhealth.com. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. A recent study looked at the effect of blanketing on hair coat length and diameter in horses. Dr. Bob Judd takes a look at the study. Hair coat growth in horses is mostly related to the length of daylight, and as days get shorter, hormonal changes in melatonin and prolactin cause increased hair growth. However, ambient temperature is also thought to play a role in hair growth as horses housed in a warmer environment had shorter hair coats. This study looked at 16 adult horses, and eight of the horses were blanketed, and eight were not blanketed. And horses were examined from December to March, not including Christmas break, at the University of Wisconsin. Horses were blanketed once temperatures fell below 41 degrees Fahrenheit, and hair samples were randomly taken during this period. When evaluating the coat, neck, and hindquarters, hair peaked in length in January and February, and neck hair was longer than hindquarter hair. As far as blanketing or not, no differences were observed in the length or diameter of hindquarter hair or in the diameter of neck hair. However, the neck hair was longer in non-blanketed horses versus those wearing blankets in January and February only. This indicates that the neck requires longer hair in the winter to assist in heat conservation when compared to the hindquarters. Another study found that horses living in a warmer stable had shorter hair coats, and those blanketed had shorter neck hair. In another study, horses blanketed in August maintained their summer coats longer than those not blanketed. This study showed that timing of blanketing is important. If you want to allow your horse to grow longer hair for protection from the winter elements, blanketing should not begin until as late in the fall as possible, or until the temperature is less than 40 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A study is underway in far west Texas to learn more about the black bear. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. A comprehensive multi-year study on black bears is currently underway in far west Texas. Dr. Amanda Veals-Dutt, postdoctoral research specialist at the Borderlands Research Institute at Sol Ross State University, says nine bears, mostly young males, were fitted with radio collars in the fall so researchers can learn more about their behavior. Back in the 1990s, people were noticing black bears were starting to come into Big Bend once again. And honestly, from there, it, the bears have been slowly being noticed outside of the park, farther and farther from the Mexican border. So really, the impetus of our project is to understand where they're coming from, where they're going, what they're doing, and how can we protect the habitat and the resources for them as they recolonize Texas so that we can make sure we have healthy bear populations well into the future, but also knowing 
that bears can cause quite a lot of conflict with humans. They're really adaptable. They can go into more rural and even suburban areas and be more tolerant of human presence than quite a lot of other species. And that also leads them to getting into trouble with getting into people's trash, mostly. So knowing that there's a lot of work that still needs to be done in terms of understanding their basic biology and ecology in this very unique desert arid system that is West Texas so that we can, again, protect populations well into the future, including through coexistence with humans. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I am Jessica Dolmel. We hit some contract highs in the cattle market on Monday. The grains and cotton also finishing higher. We'll take a look back at all of Monday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Strength return to the cattle futures market on Monday as we hit contract highs on some of the nearby live cattle contracts. The February up a dollar seven, closing at one sixty two twenty seven. April live cattle up a dollar fifteen at one sixty five ten. The June up sixty seven cents, one sixty forty two. Feeder cattle also seeing good strength on Monday with March feeders up eighty cents, one eighty seven twenty. The April up ninety two at one ninety one sixty. May feeder cattle up a dollar two, one ninety five fifty seven. Cash fed cattle market, a repeat of the previous week. Packers waiting to the very last minute late on Friday to buy any significant numbers of cattle. However, they did pay more money, about two bucks higher. Here in Texas, we sold cattle as high as 161. So added two dollars onto the market. Packers bought a decent number of cattle too last week, 108,421 head. Boxed beef prices higher on Monday. Choice up 64 cents at 270.30. Select up a dollar 90, 256.19. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pins with Larry Marble. My guest, Ken Jordan. Ken, you sold cattle in San Saba Thursday. How did it go? Larry, we ended up right at 2,200 head of cattle. Outstanding offer. I guess overall quality was very, very impressive. I thought today when you compare back to our last sale, the stock steers were probably 20 to $30 a hundred higher. At a group of nine steers uh, today, weighing 536 at 238, uh, right at $1,276, almost 536 pounders. I thought the stocker heifers were probably 15 to $30 a hundred higher. At three heifers, weighed 533, 220, right at $1,173 on those. The bigger cattle, I thought, on the steer side was probably 15 to $25 a hundred higher. 
at a rib of 13 steers, weighing 659 today, brought 2611 a pound, a little over uh, $1,390 on those. And we had another group of 15 steers, weighed 729 pounds, bring a dollar 93 a pound, right at $1,407 on those cattle. We did have a seven nine weights that uh, brought all the way up to uh, top dollar on them. They dollar adding up $1,550 some dollars on those nine weights today. I thought getting the heifers, they were probably $18 to $30 under our packer cows. They were six to 10 better with the top cow at 104 today. And bulls were all five to 10 better on them. Pairs of brick cows, I thought all were steady on limited tests as a whole, just not a lot of them available today. We get our bull deal that we had today, the Martin Bruni nine brings bulls, outstanding set of bulls. Uh, they, those nine had after $6,111, kind of brought from 37 and a half up to $7,750. The uh, Stephonian's Cattle Company, 24 Red Angus, Charlotte and Limplex bulls, along with St. Angus, they averaged $4,072, selling from $3,700 up to $4,800. The STS uh, Ranger Angus, 33 Angus bulls, averaged $3,144, bringing from $2,100 up to $72 and a half. And the Savage Ranch, 11 Angus bulls, averaged $3,564, ranging from $27 up to $4,200. And the J.B. Herford Ranch bulls, they averaged $3,600. Give us a call, Larry, go 325-372-5159. The next email sell next Saturday, uh, Larry, February the 18th, got about 2,500 head coming. All up on our website, take a look there, jordancattle.com. Neighbor, that's our livestock auction market report for today. We'll see you next time right here as we walk the pens. I'm Larry Marble for Texas Ag Today. Back over to the future trade now, where lean hogs finished mostly higher on Monday. The nearby February was down in nickel, 75.82, but a big jump on the April. It was up $3.02 to close at 86.35. Class 3 milk was lower Monday, slightly lower, with February milk down a penny, 17.93, while March Class 3 milk was down 4 cents, 18.02, 100 weight. We did see a nice run-up in the cotton market on Monday, triple-digit gains. However, we backed that off near the close. The market got some initial support from a lot of outside fundamentals, stronger stock market, weaker U.S. dollar, and the National Cotton Council released its annual planted acreage survey over the weekend. They're calling for 11.4 million acres of cotton planted this year, down 17% from last year. But as we said, the market backed off that initial reaction. We closed slightly higher with March cotton up 37 points, 85.64. The May up 21 at 85.79, while new crop December cotton was up 11, 84.97. Both corn and wheat finished higher in Monday's trade. Corn continuing to get support from problems with the Argentine corn crop. They endured some very high temperatures over the weekend in Argentina and very limited prospects for rain. March corn up four and a half to finish at 6.85 a bushel. September corn up one and three quarters, 6.11 and three quarters. The wheat market managed to hold on to the big gains we had on Friday after that Russian missile scare, that Russian missile crossing into NATO airspace. That seems to be resolved over the weekend. However, we hung on to the gains and added some more. March, Kansas City wheat up three and a quarter, nine twelve and a quarter. New crop July up three cents, eight eighty-five and a quarter. Soft wheat saw even higher gains. March, Chicago wheat up six, seven ninety-two a bushel. New crop July up three and a half at eight oh two and a half. In the energy markets Monday, March natural gas down eight cents at two forty-three. March crude oil down 45, 79.27 a barrel. The financial markets higher Monday afternoon. The Dow up 345 points, 34,214. The Nasdaq up 168, 11,886. The S&P up 42 at 4,133. 
That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.